Welcome to Vascular Crash Talk and the part two of our discussion panel on the transition to an academic position. On this episode, we will continue our conversation with Dr. Loria Pillay, Dr. Noelia Grande Gutierrez, and Dr. Arif Yurdagul. If you haven't listened yet to the part one of this series, just go back one episode. We hope you find this conversation helpful navigating the job search of an academic position. I think we've covered when you think you're ready, which is probably never. You're just <laughs> by your mentors um, or by a grant. You're like, you got to get out. Um, and also, how do you go about finding these places? What goes into the application package? So let's talk about the offer. Uh, because this is a very confusing time. There's talks of soft money and hard money. And you sometimes don't even know those terms exist until it's too late. So, Art, you're laughing. <laughs> you start then. <laughs> what do you look for in an offer? Uh, well, well um, I, I think the, 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 the quick answer is you've got an offer in your inbox uh don't be overly enthusiastic about the fact that i've got an offer i'm going to take this job no matter what it's my freedom out you know that this actually kind of sets the stage for um what uh, you have control over in the next phase um you essentially establish a a, a precedent at this point um so the first thing that you know you look for is um, hopefully you've had these conversations where it's not just these random numbers coming in, but the things you should look for uh, obviously are salary. So the salary is important. It, maybe it's more than you got as a postdoc. And that's, that's easy. Great. That's great. <laughs> that's an easy however, one. <laughs> however, in two or three years, if you've secured funding or you're doing a lot in this job, you're just like, you know, I, my worth is a lot more than what I'm getting, A, right now, and B, you're collecting benefits off of your salary, right? So your retirement that's accumulating is based on your salary. So um, get as much as you can. Um, be okay with being awkward, um, which maybe I'm more guilty of that than, than not. You know, um, push push the, uh, it, it, all they can say is no, or we can meet you here. Uh, the other thing, um, and I'll get back to that point, which is um, you're going to get this uh, seed offer. And the seed offer is going to look different based uh, where you apply for in, in the United States. So for instance, if you go to the coast, you're going to see these seed packages that are in these six digits and you're like, holy cow. And not, start, not if you're at a PUI. <laughs> so you start peeling back the layers and then you go, oh, well, my seed package covers my own salary. So I'm supposed to cover my own salary off my seed package. So if you strip that away, it's a lot less. And then okay, well, how much of this seed package, how much of, of it is front-loaded? How much of it 
is there an expiration date on the seed package? This would be equivalent to the startup package. Yes. Other yes. institutions call it. I want to make sure because people call it different things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Welcome so, to our industry. Everybody calls the same thing a different name, and we're all different. Start, yes. start a package. Seed, seed start package. a package is the same thing. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. Um, and so in in with that uh, is this concept of soft money, hard money. So uh, I was in a fortunate setting where uh, our salary is, is hard covered. Um, so uh, that is not the case at many places. Many places are at a 100% soft money. And so what that means is you cover your salary based off of the money you can bring in. Um, so I didn't want to go and do that. And I, I don't think a lot of people prefer to do that. Um, and the, but there's a there's a lot of um, um freedom in, in in some of that and some uh, uh, in terms of what you can um, control in terms of conversations with the departments or or the chairs. Um, the other thing I would look for in in, in an offer is um, how long uh, does it take for the tenure. Um, process to last some places it's five years some places it's seven years um, something I would also look at are moving expenses how is that handled um, the other thing is that I don't think a lot of people really pay attention to which is uh, lab space so um, you're going to get uh, 600 square feet of lab space um, my New York apartment was about 700. So I was like, well, hell, if I can live in 700 square feet, I can operate out of 600. Yeah. So that's not an issue. Um, fortunately, that's not what happened in, in my case. But in some cases uh, where I think there's not a lot of looking in a decade from now, uh, some people don't pay attention to that. And then what happens is you hit on an R1 or you bring in five people, six people, seven people, and you're seeing that there's three people at one desk and you're just like, well, we've got to fix this somehow. But you've signed a contract that that's what you're satisfied with is that's all the space you need. And and so while, that being said, while... Um, administration can be sympathetic to giving you more space. An issue is, is space available? A. B, uh, how can we secure space for you if there's, for instance, other people coming in? Or um, C, C, three, um, is it going to be in a new building? How far away is it going to be? What are you going to be okay with? So what I would do in these uh, what I would pay attention to is as you're looking through your offer letter is to pay attention to space. Make sure you have space that you think you would need five, 10 years from now. Um, so you don't have to ask for that later. Um, I think that's everything. I think uh, that that might, might be important for now. I don't want to too much of the <laughs> I'm sure that from other experiences we're gonna get into other details I just wanted uh to like say something real quick because you bring up a good point about salary and how it is covered whether it's hard or soft money 
um harmony basically is like correct me if I'm wrong maybe I still don't understand this concept but hard money is money coming from your department or your institution directly versus soft money is money that you bring yourself basically from grants so then there's a tendency I understand based on my own experience that for example medical schools if your position is in a medical school they'll most likely cover less of your salary and more of it you will have to cover yourself but there's percentages some institutions want a hundred percent or 95 percent uh coverage that you have to guarantee um and also an important thing to watch out for if that's the case look at the timeline how soon do they want you to cover for those percentages um and you can negotiate or trying to negotiate um well the first three years you cover this much and then after I get my R01 then I'll cover these other much so those are things you can work out definitely um, but it is important that you ask and also whether the startup or that seed funding um, expires and if it doesn't expire if there's restrictions in the ways that you can use that money after whichever timeline um, they've given you to spend it. Um, I'm sure, Laura, you have a different point of view being at a most like teaching institute. Um, how was your experience? Um, I mean, everything that Art mentioned was definitely a consideration for me as well. Um, you do need space if you want to do research. You need your salary to match the cost of living in the area. <laughs> Yeah. depending on how you want to live and maybe what what your family's overall salary is as well. Um, I, I think mine is also a hard money position. It's 100% hard money. But one thing to take into account is that lots of those positions are only nine-month salaried positions as well. And so one thing that's a great you, point to bring up. <laughs> Go on. Yes. Yeah. So so one thing that you can successfully negotiate is maybe summer funding in your first year. Um, often grants will eventually cover summer fund summer funding or summer research funding. Um just trying to think of other things. I, I think overall what really helped me was discussing my offer with not, not only my mentor, but other individuals that had either recently gone on the job market and obtained positions, new assistant professor positions at similar institutes, or here at Western, some of my colleagues were really happy to discuss what they'd successfully been able to negotiate for. And one of them even pulled up their offer letter from a few years prior um, which which was great. I realize not everyone is willing to do that kind of thing, but there are, there are other things you can negotiate for. For instance, um, summer student research funding or stipends, um, moving costs, salary. It's a, it's a little bit tougher, but one thing that people aren't aware of is um, in some states like Washington State, where I'm located, you can actually look up um, individual. Um, salaries of assistant professors because it's a public institution. And so those to determine if you're getting a good deal or not, some of that information is publicly available. Yeah. Say if, you, here in Texas, if, you, if you're part of University of Texas, 
your salaries are online. You can find that. <laughs> and also the double AMC has a really good uh, resource there. I think it's under a paywall, but uh, you might find people that have already bought it and they can share it. Um, I hope yeah, double AMC is not listening to this. Um, <laughs> but they have these surveys that they do annually where they collect data of salaries and based on what kind of positions. It's usually clinical related to like in hospitals or medical centers, but it's all um, divided by, they have information for each state basically. So it's a really good resource when you're trying to figure out how much should I be getting paid for this position? Good ballpark um, situation. Noelia, please give us your experience. Yeah, I know. I think some of the things that were already mentioned, uh, kind of like check uh, everything that you want to make sure like you look for in an offer. I think probably like it seems kind of like obvious, right? But, you know, understanding how much things cost in your institution and like, you know, when you get the offer, it may look like a lot of money, but you need to understand like, okay, if I hire a student, how much is this going to cost me? If I need to buy this equipment, how much? So I think before getting the offer and, and like during the negotiation, I think this will come up, but you have to have like a list of everything you need to set up your lab. And I think that's important because, because also if you can justify everything that you need, like it will help you in the negotiation process. Uh, but also understanding that every institution is different and has different rules. Uh, some institutions cover um, graduate students differently. So make sure you understand how that works because that is going to be basically most of your funding is going to go towards funding your graduate students. Um, so you need really need to understand how much money that is going to uh, be so you can ask for those things you can like this I think understanding how the salary works is also crucial like whether you have like nine months or whether you have a less percentage of your salary cover because all those things are going to add up to that number that you get that may seem like a lot but then like when you start like breaking down things you know you may be surprised so you don't want to be surprised after signing the offer yeah, yeah having Having that list of items, equipment, consumables, exactly, to have yeah. all of that available also really helps when you're eventually setting up your lab as well, because you can just refer yeah. back to it and it helps you keep track of everything that you really do need. And, and I think someone mentioned, I think it was you, uh, Laura, like talking to other people who got offers or were in the job market, like in previous years, like really helps because it's the closest uh, that you're gonna like sometimes like you know you can talk to your mentors but maybe this was like 10 20 years ago so things have really changed uh, so having this like close uh, person in in time that you can discuss how things work and what was mm -hmm. their experience really helps too yeah especially if it's in the same field you are so you can kind of like know okay this is all I need in my list and some things you may have but some things you you know you may think oh I didn't have this on my list so I may I might need to add it. Yeah, yeah the other thing. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Oh, no. <laughs> the other uh, thing, yeah, go ahead. <laughs> the other thing that I would mention, too, is um, whatever you do happen to negotiate or see on your offer letter, make sure everything is written down within your offer that you talked about, because 
not me personally, but I definitely know of situations where people have been misled or things that were guaranteed verbally were not delivered upon. And that offer letter is really, it, it really is, um, I guess, uh, like almost a legal document. Yeah, it's contract is binding. <laughs> contract. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I was going to say about the students, I think that's such a good point. And that's an important thing that you can look at while you're in your interview process. Um, meet with the students. And actually, I really enjoy meeting the students and talking to them to see how happy they were or not in every institution. <laughs> but also just to like, hey, how much do you get paid? And do you think this is enough to live here? Um, and are like, what is, do you get supports from grants? Like, all of that. You can get that from the students themselves, but also talk to grad school people. Uh, usually there will be at least one meeting with one administrator from the grad school. And those are really good questions that you should have ready to go because it's super important to know how you can get students, um, how much you have to pay the students. Um, and all of these are things that you can be preparing for um, ahead of time. And so when you get an offer, you can do this math. And Noelia is suggesting that I think it's super important because um, you see a big number, but it takes a lot to set up your research project. Um, so I think those are all, uh, I wanted to, I was thinking about this. I don't know if any of you had this experience as an international um student or just working in the U.S. and getting a contract in the U.S. is Are there any visa things that you need to pay attention to in the offer letter? Yeah, that's a good point. Um, I don't remember exactly. This may vary between institutions. Some institutions don't want to put that in the offer letter. Uh, some It may be a, a bit different, but yeah, you make sure like um, th those are things that you can negotiate too. Like you're gonna need a visa for working if you're international. Um, at least as I was an international student here, so as long as you uh, accept the position as a uh, assistant professor, like you cannot longer be on your current visa. Uh, so you're gonna need a, a work visa. So just like, this is something that you need to discuss with the institution, like, are they gonna sponsor that? And then even like applica application to like permanent residency, how that's gonna work? Are they gonna sponsor that for you? You have to sponsor it yourself. So those are also interesting points for an international because it's something to consider if, if the institution is gonna support you on that or not. Yes. Okay. If you feel like you are having to negotiate more than you thought you were, you're probably not an environment that's going to be pretty supportive. Now, I'd follow your gut on that. Um, I've heard of some individuals who thought the negotiation process they went through was fairly normal, but I think they had to put up a bit of a fight and then they came to understand a few years later that, yeah, they weren't, you know, if, if you feel like they're not going to be your advocate, it's it's probably not a good fit, yeah, which um, is kind of a hard inner conversation, but it's um, something to pay attention to. 
you know, if, you, if you're feeling like yeah. you're having to go back and forth with the chair, the, um, you know, the, the chancellor or whoever's in control of aspects of your start, startup or your position there, if you feel like it's more negotiation tactics than you're having to go through, pay pay attention to that. Mm -hmm. Go somewhere where you feel supported. That's, yeah. I guess, I would also add that, um, you know, I feel like in, in my experience uh, as a candidate and then like on the other side of the table, like a lot of things are negotiable, like not just like research space and funding, like there are other things like, you know, uh, two body problems and kids and like there are a lot, a lot of things that you can discuss if you feel comfortable doing so and like you can get um you know some benefits and some things out of your negotiation so it's I think it's just mentioning that it's not just research and lab space there are like a lot of things that you know you can actually negotiate so that's something to keep in mind too if yeah it's relevant for in, in your case. That's good to it. So I think that the offer also comes back a little to the interview process and the things that you discuss in the interview, like the two body problem, which is not necessarily a problem, but it's a consideration um, and children and, you know, the kind of support that you're going to have. So how do you go about doing that in interviews? I, going in, I heard a lot of conflicting information. Some people literally took their, like, engagement or wedding ring off to go to interviews because they did not want that to be a consideration. They did not want it to be, like, a factor. To me, that was sort of mind-blowing because, you know, I'm a whole person and that includes my family. <laughs> so you got to be okay with that. Um, So what do you think about these, like, what what's the line of things that to discuss during your interview process versus not bring up and just bring up at negotiation time? I think that's a tough one. It probably depends on what exactly you feel comfortable mentioning. Yeah. Um, I know for me, I have an almost 10 year old daughter and if having a child was going to be a problem at whatever institute I was applying to. If, if they didn't want me for that reason, um, then I probably wouldn't have gone there. So I actually did bring up my daughter during my research talk. She she helped make my talk more accessible by answering a few questions. <laughs> um, and that, that opened the door to allow um, others during my interview to mention my family or to bring up their own family experiences. And for me, that was important because I, I'm like you, Lissandra, I'm, I'm a mother, that's part of my identity. And if individuals aren't interested in hiring me because of that, then that's not a place that I would want to be. Exactly. Yeah, I, I think it's, it's definitely a personal choice, right? It's like, how much do you feel comfortable sharing? Like, doing interviews like no one is allowed to ask you directly like what is your marital status do you have kids mm -hmm. yeah. but if you want to know what is the culture around kids family work-life balance for families 
you might as well just like put it out there. I don't know. I mean, I don't have kids personally, but I think uh, having people sharing their experience in how they, you know, like I have a family and this is, you know, like everything works or not. I think it helps to see a little bit of the environment and whether it's, this is something that works for you. So I guess it's, if you value that, it may be, you know, like a good idea to just put it out there to, to feel like how, how it's going to be. Yeah. Art, you have a couple of kids. I do. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I've got an almost two-year-old and a now eight-year-old as of a couple of weeks ago. Um, I, you know, my experience was a bit different. Everything in, uh, was pretty professional. Um, I think it, I had uh, colleagues now who asked if I had kids, but I didn't think necessarily anything unusual about it other than just creating conversation before an appetizer came to the table or something. Um, right. You know. Yeah, and honestly, this might be a different issue for women and men going on interviews, sadly. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I agree. It might, yeah, it might be a different... I, I don't know how much input I, I can put in, uh, <laughs> input I can put in, but input I can provide. Yeah, you bring an interesting point. I never thought about it, you know? Like, maybe you didn't feel that because it wasn't, like, you know, it, it didn't... For the people interviewing you, it didn't matter, you know, or, or some of that, you know. But I think for me, it was important even to bond, uh, especially with younger faculty, even because it's like, oh, well, our kids are similar ages. Like, which daycare do they go to? Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Moving so to a new yeah, city, sure, yeah. <laughs> you yeah. need to know those things. So I think it's useful to create those kind of connections. Um, so after talking about all of the process let's get to the transition um and art you can go first what has been the biggest challenge you think um doing this transition to independence um what was your first year look like what was it like um not like i thought it would <laughs> um i I was prepared to do um, bench work and ordering, and I did ordering and biosafety and animal <laughs> protocol and grant transfer agreements and a lot of paperwork and service, to be quite frank, more than I, I thought. Um, I think the if if I could go back to me three years ago when I had a little bit more hair, <laughs> I would say before you step foot on campus, find out what assurance committee approval documents you need uh, and what you can submit before you get there. Can you submit an animal protocol, a biosafety protocol before you step foot on campus? That could save you a couple months. Um, find out your sales reps and reach out to them and start assembling uh, quotes uh, so that way when your chart string opens up or you know it's that number that you get uh, where your accounts are, are tagged or flagged into 
uh, so that we can pull the trigger on that. Um, finding people was another pretty quick thing. Don't, uh, my, my instinct was to hire anyone that would walk in the door um, because I didn't know what the process of getting someone to the lab would be like. Um, and I would say that making a, creating an environment that PI does have a lot of control over at the end of the day, create an environment that fosters uh, creativity and, and friendship. You know, if, if people are in the, if people in the lab aren't looking at the clock, then you're doing something right. Um, so hold, I could go back and tell myself, hold, hold your temptation to hire immediately take time in terms of hiring the right personnel that can help create an environment that you see uh, for your lab and, and moving forward. Um, so yeah, your biosafety animal protocols, make sure you get that done as soon as possible. Ordering, try and get that done as soon as possible. But the first year was, um, it just was a uh, things take more time than than you think they're supposed to. You know, I remember by the time, I mean, I I, I don't know how, how everyone else feels. I've been in this now for about two and a half years, and I'm still I still don't feel like I'm at about a hundred percent, you know, of what I had expected. You know, so it takes. I remember by the time the lab was finally set up, it was about eight or nine months into the job, and I was like, okay, I guess. I don't need any more large equipment. I guess this kind of did it. Um, so the first year is, uh, yeah, it's was not exactly how I pictured it. But I, that being said, it's I, I loved it. So I look back on it. It's is a fun time. So yeah, I, I think I can relate a lot to what Art is saying. There's a lot of administrative tasks that I was maybe not expecting to take so long <laughs> or that I would have to devote so much time to. And in all honesty, my lab is still not set up. <laughs> um, <laughs> Nobody teaches you how to do this part. Nobody, Nobody. teaches you how to do this part. Yeah. So you, and I don't care, you can, or I don't, maybe we can edit this. <laughs> There's only so much advice you can get, but until you're actually out there on the battlefield, you kind of, kind of don't know exactly what that looks like. You know, you can, yeah. I, I had a, a colleague say, um, it, who served in the military, it's like, okay, you're trained how to run, you're trained how to shoot a gun, um, but until you're actually out there on the, on the battlefield, it's, it's just kind of hard. You just have to kind of be thrown in the deep end. So I don't know. Maybe that's the advice all this <laughs> PI for the last four years of you know been giving is they kind of figure it out for themselves. They'll they'll do fine. Yeah, the, the sheer amount of email I received a single day. Oh my god, the email. <laughs> Something I'm, you're not used. And attest to that. Expecting as you get older in the job, <laughs> the more emails you get. I took a vacation last Thursday and Friday. I was out Thursday and Friday, and uh, I went to Oklahoma, and there was no internet service there. And I was like, oh, this is great. I can um, kind of take a break. And yeah, and then I come back 
uh, Sunday evening and there's uh, 121 emails that I haven't gotten to. And so just anxiety through the roof. So Yes, I'm at a point where if I didn't check my email, when I check my email, I have anxiety just from sitting in front of the computer. <laughs> like, there's an email here that yes, I needed to get yes, to and yes. I didn't. Like, yes. That's... Yes. And it could be like, thanks for reaching out. Like, thank you no thank you uh, yeah but it's just a great thing like that's why we're having this conversation to sort of prepare people going in and I think this is a, another thing that you could ask during interviews whether you will have access to your uh, charge string and startup money before starting your position because that gives you access to ordering hiring doing all these things um so definitely something you should be asking is when can I start hiring? When will I have access to my money? Um, sort of things that Art, you mentioned could help set you up and like working with iCook protocols and IRB or whatever type of protocols you need to do. Biosafety is no joke. It takes forever to, to complete. Yeah, what, one thing I didn't, I didn't actually have a lot of time for that before I started. Everything seemed to move so quickly. I was finishing up paper revisions, resubmitting that. Then we packed up and moved across country. Um, my house needed <laughs> a little bit of work. And then I took a new faculty teaching workshop and then started right away. And one of the things I know some people are able to negotiate is either no teaching at first or a very reduced teaching load, but that's not always available for in assistant professors at a PUI. And so with two new teaching preps in the first two quarters, uh, lab setup just went entirely by the wayside. There was very little that I could do. And I know for me, one of the mistakes that I definitely made in my first year was spending way too much time on course prep and teaching. I have <laughs> perfectionist tendencies and I think something that I've definitely learned, and hopefully others cannot make this mistake as they embark on the same journey, is to, I guess, just learn when things are good enough and accept that. And don't spend hours upon hours on trying to perfect your lectures or your assignments. What's your advice for people that are going into uh, this process of um, job search, getting into it, transitioning. What's your advice? I would um, find someone you trust, whether it's an old mentor or a colleague at the place um, that you're uh, at or moving to um, and build as many friendships there as possible. So um, I uh, that is useful for, for many things. Um, commiserating together, but also um, the more uh, people you make contact with is the more advice you can get. And generally what I've found is many people are filled with both good and bad advice. But if there's good, if there's unanimous good advice among a bunch of voices, then that's probably the right advice to follow. So I would find a, a repertoire of colleagues or um, certain individuals you trust and bother them and bother them and bother them and don't worry about bothering them to mm -hmm. get their advice on the next 
stage. Um, you know, uh, so the friendships here, at least the ones that I've established, are um, very meaningful. And um, so, uh, and if anyone listening wants to follow up, uh, reach out to me. I'm, you know, I have no problem sharing uh, Excel sheets or, or or whatnot. So, um, yeah, it's it's a trying time. Yeah, but it's fun. This this part's fun. This part's fun. The transitioning part, I think, is like the peak time uh, for me. (laughs) I'm like counting down. I came (laughs) back from vacation. Now I'm counting down the time until I move. I'm like, oh my god. Um. So, for people in my position or like yourselves, when this was going on, like. What do you think you need to prioritize during this transition or during your first year? Yeah, that's that's a good point. And and I look back sometimes to my first year and I wonder, like, did I do like I sometimes wonder like whether my choices were the best ones. Uh so some things that some things you can control and some things are kind of like outside of your control. Uh obviously, like if you get if a bit more time from like whatever you are doing to like, let's say you accept the offer and you have like a six months period to kind of like get ready. Like it's, it's going to be easier when you get there. Uh, but that's not always under your control. There may be like funding that's finishing up and you need to move on or like the department may need you to join right away. So you just have to, you know, if there is an opportunity, it's probably good to have like some time to figure out things uh, think about hiring with a bit more time so you don't have to rush and, and stuff like that. Um, and also the, a, an important point to understand also is the time of the year when you join and you start your appointment is also gonna uh, change how your tenure clock goes. So the tenure clock usually starts in the fall when the, some, when the academic year starts. Uh, so if you join like in January, that seems like you have like, you know, a few months extra to work before like the clock starts ticking. So that could be another thing to consider. Um, I feel like in the transition period, like you, I, I think um, both um, Laura and, and Art already mentioned this, like you need to feel comfortable with wearing like many different hats um because you are used to just doing research and that's what you do like you do research you write papers and maybe apply some grants but now you also have to do some other administrative things uh you need to think about also hiring which is a you know difficult process because you can talk to people but at the end like you have to make the decision who you're going to hire to work in your group and i don't know i felt like that was like a really big decision to make. Um, so yeah, just there, there's gonna be a lot of like different hats that, that you're gonna need to wear. Um, I think uh, someone mentioned this about teaching. So a lot of um, institutions may offer you teaching relief for one semester. Um, if that's the case, I mean, like that really helps because it gives you a full semester to concentrate on like writing your first grant and like starting to, you know, to make connections and have time for like all those meetings. Um, 
when I, some one piece of advice I got is to do that, that like to do the teaching in the first semester you are in the university and I took that advice and I actually like I would like to forward that like I think I would 100% recommend it uh, and the reason is because you just get to your institution right and you don't know how anything works and maybe you need to buy equipment and then that's going to take a few months uh, so while all that's happening, you're already teaching, you're in the job, you're meeting people, you're meeting students. Uh, if you wait to teach in the second semester, when everything is ready, now you need to go and like leave everything and go teach. So I feel like for me, like it, it was better to just dive into the teaching. Like it definitely, you know, you're going to spend, it's inevitable. I think Laura mentioned this too, to spend a lot of time course prepping. But I feel like the first time you teach a course feels kind of, you need to do it. Uh, <laughs> but it, it gets easier, like the second time around and the third time around. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's so, I, I think it's so interesting. And I think it part is like your personality, like how you want to handle it. Uh, because I was like, oh my God, why would you do that? Like, it's the opposite. Like, <laughs> no, yeah. Like, <laughs> you know, and I, I got this advice from like several people and I subscribe 100% to it. Um, and the other thing is about like course prepping. Like I feel like if I had my course in the second semester, I would have probably spent also the first semester prepping for that course. So it would have been the full year at the end of the day, like I would have spent on that. And by doing that at the first semester, uh, by you know, the winter break, I was done with the teaching. I had a, I have met a lot of students. So you can use that as a way of like connecting to students and maybe recruiting some students in your group. And then the second semester, I had all the time to work on writing and start making connections with collaborators and, and that. So, I, I mean, it worked for me, but I, I, I get like, I was a bit, at first I thought like, oh, wow, that's a lot happening, but I was glad I did it this way. So. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I can totally see the advantage too. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um. So I guess to wrap up, because I've kept you long enough, uh, <laughs> what would the advice be for anybody that's starting in this journey of job search um, and or accepting an offer and transitioning? I think my biggest piece of advice is connect with those people that have recently gone through it, whether it's the application and for, for jobs, whether it's starting a new position, um, reaching out to former colleagues or former tra trainees, seeing if they'll send you their application materials so that you can look them over and get a sense of what's required. Um, and then when joining your new faculty or your new department, reaching out to other faculty because lots of them have recently been through this process as well and they might have answers to your questions or be able to offer you lots of advice, whether it's solicited or not, that can be really useful. And just realizing that you're, you're not alone in this. Lots of people have been going through it. And I think everyone doesn't really have a very good idea of what it is that they're doing at first and to recognize that that's normal. <laughs> Or at least that's what I've been told. Maybe maybe my colleagues are just kind. <laughs> yeah, no, I think that's normal. <laughs> that's a good point. I also, I reached out to a lot of people. In some cases, there were like connections 
And I was like, hey, I'm so sorry, but can you like just meet um, with me on Zoom? And it was enough to get some report and like started that mm -hmm. they were comfortable like sending me their application materials. And so I had examples because I think a really important thing is like these documents that are required that every single institution requires of you, you have never written them before and you haven't written anything in that style. So you actually don't know what it looks like. Um, so having some examples there, it's really helpful. And sometimes the best way to go about it is ask someone who has done it, but they're not competitors. Like there is a complete different area. So it'll be comfortable for both of you to share okay. those materials. Noelia, same question for you. What would you advise? Yeah, I know. Definitely, I I agree with everything that was said. Like reaching out to college colleagues and like other people who have gone through the process is crucial. These are the best source of information. I would add also about the process itself. Um, it's a really stressful process, but it also helps you to meet a lot of people in the process. Uh, a lot of uh, researchers in other institutions that you could make connections. Um, and I would add that also don't feel like the interview process, especially the, the on-campus interview, is just like a um, something for the institution to get to know you. Like it's a very good opportunity for you to get to know uh, the institution and see if people happy working here. Like do I like these people to work with them? Um, because I'm, you know, sometimes we tend to see the interview as just like a way of they're going to evaluate the candidate, but actually, uh, you know, it's a good opportunity for the candidate to evaluate also the department, because if you are lucky that you have like several options later on to choose, you want to make sure like, you know, remember your experience in all these places because that's definitely going to help you also to, to make that decision. I um, think that's so. so crucial and it lowers sort of the anxiety or the stress going into the interview, like knowing that you're not the only one that's getting interviewed, you're interviewing them too. Uh, I think yeah. it, for me, at least, it reduced the level of stress I'm like, well, I'm also holding some cards here. <laughs> yeah, no, and, and and that's something that seems like, you know, when you're applying, like, you don't feel it that way. But when you are on the other side and, like, you understand, like, it's like they invited these people to, to, to the interview. Like, they really are interested in the candidates. And, like, the department is, is putting its best foot, foot forward to, to impress them, too. So uh, make sure, like, you, you know, take time to to see if it's a good fit for you and you know when when you go in, in, into your position like it's stressful and, and and everything but I guess we need to try to enjoy it also because at the end of the day it's what we chose to do right so <laughs> yeah, it's, I think it's a fun time to realize what you want to do as an independent researcher and that is very I think empowering and also it's just fun to like this is where I want to go. You know, this is, this is my wild dream. So people listen here. You know, it's a, it's a, it's a fun, it's a fun aspect of research. <laughs> yeah, well, I think that's really, 
Oh, I was going to say, I think, I think all of that advice is excellent because at, at the end of the day, you have to work <laughs> in whatever department you end up with. And if it's a supportive environment, it's going to make your life so much better and so much easier and so much less lonely. I think what a lot of people maybe don't realize is when you're taking on one of these new positions before, if you were a postdoctoral fellow, there were likely other trainees in your lab that you could form bonds with and a cohort with. But most of us as academics, we move to an entirely new city. Mm-hmm. And sometimes making friends as an adult is really quite challenging. So if you have colleagues that are supportive and nice to work with and that you can connect with, um, it, it makes, I think it makes work a lot more enjoyable. And it gives you a sense of mentorship if you're a new investigator as well. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Vascular Crosstalk. We would like to hear from you. Please let us know what you thought about this episode, future topics that you would like to hear about, and other people that you would like us to interview. You can reach out via Twitter at Vascular Biology. We look forward to hearing from you. This podcast was produced by Netbo's Education Committee, and I want to thank Miha Auha and Strider Meadows for their work in making this podcast possible. This was Lysandra Villa Ellis for Vascular Crosstalk. Until we meet again. <laughs>